Today on Sagittarian Matters, comics, sex, advice, boundaries, and more. With my guests, Beth Pickens and Irma Blood. Stay tuned. Pickens is a Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner, a grant writer, and the author of the new book, Your Art Will Save Your Life. You can find her on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting or online at BethPickens.com. Beth Pickens. We are in the Benson Hotel in Portland, Oregon. We've both just had raw onions from Sizzle Pie. Welcome to the podcast advice special. I'm very happy to do our um, hotel room special together. We are laying on a bed full of uh, faux dog fur blankets with a real dog laying on them. Do you think it's faux dog fur? Is that the effect they were going for? <laughs> it's kind of, maybe it's like fake bear fur. It's like yeah, a, it feels like fake, fake bear it's like a washed out brown color and there's a throw it's kind of the thing like someone would have over their shoulders in a game of thronesy kind of aesthetic if you're going to like a game of thrones dinner mystery party would you wear this throw yeah if i if this was a a show where i had to make fashion out of this hotel room i would gut these pillows and like you know try to shove them on parts of my body and wrap this around myself Beth, uh, the first question we have is one that was left over from the other night when we were at Floating World Comics. The question was this. Dear Beth and Nicole, how do I not be nervous the first time I have sex? Signed, Anonymous. And this is, to be clear, did the, did the asker, are we assuming they're having sex for the first time or with a new person? Well, I didn't know. I mean, I was wondering if, I, I thought, of course they must mean with a new person, but... Who knows? What if they meant for the first time? Because certainly if you've had sex with other people before, you just know that you are nervous sometimes. Yeah, I think nervous anticipation is sort of the name of the game when you're having sex with somebody new or having sex for the first time. Both things are true. And that's okay. That's part of it. If it's nervous energy that is preventing you from wanting to proceed, maybe you might need to do some deep breathing. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe you need your your wanting of the thing that's going to happen needs to outweigh. You need to do the cost benefit analysis. You need to be so worked up that you're like, I'm nervous, and this still needs to happen. Yeah, being nervous isn't a sign that there's something wrong. I'm nervous every time I go to a restaurant. I don't know why, but you still go. I still go. It's just nervous anticipation. Some people have it with having sex with a new person. Ever since I was a kid, I would like get excited butterflies every time I go to a restaurant. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> So if you're nervous and you're anticipating something, also know the first time you have sex with anyone is not going to be the best time you have sex with them. It's never the case that that, unless it's the only time you have sex with them, it's often more awkward than the other times because you don't know each other and you're kind of just trying to figure it out. So even if you're nervous, be gentle with yourself. It doesn't have to be like a sexy, perfect ballet, like in the movie Showgirls. (laughs) It doesn't even be a sexy, perfect ballet where everyone, like, you know, has a choreographed climax after very athletically. You not say climax. <laughs> very athletically rolling around the room. Like, it might be really awkward. And you're like, oh, oh, no, I don't like that. Oh, sorry. Oh. 
you know? Yeah, I think something that can help nerves in general with sex is um, the more you know what you like and are willing to talk about it, the more you can feel comfortable asserting, like, this is what I like and being willing to speak up and say something. I think that might help with nerves. Yeah, and if you've never had sex before, you're like, I don't know what I like. Be honest or say things that worked for you when you were just with you. When you were alone, <laughs> don't laugh at me. <laughs> when you were alone, making love to yourself. <laughs> neither we have neither one of us have any sex tra- uh, sex therapy training. I just want to be really clear. In all of my training and counseling psychology, I never learned sex well, therapy. Well, if you just humped a pillow your whole life and then you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could come standing up, like that might not be the case. You may have to say like, well. Did you hump any of the pillows I'm laying on right now? I just want to just be honest. Just communicate. I will be less nervous about laying next to you. Smell them and you'll have your answer. <laughs> Hi, Nicole. <laughs> Smell. <laughs> I don't know if you like that. <laughs> next question. All of your merch from now on to say smell them and you'll have your answer. Hi, Nicole. Some friends of mine are splitting up and some issues of DV slash emotional abuse are being talked about in a way that was partially visible when they were together, but it's coming out more explicitly now. I want to support my friend who survived the emotional abuse, and I also feel pressured to stay in touch with their abusive ex because she, the ex, is also struggling. Slash people don't become less harmful by being isolated, but she's super hard to be around. We've called her the serotonin suck for years. She is a bummer. Mostly she has really unending depression and hasn't sought treatment to manage it at all and is not responsive to clear boundaries. I might be holding to stay in touch with this person because we all read we all read Conflict Does Not Abuse last year, even if I don't like her. From Screenshotted Advice Question in Sacramento. Ooh, good. Dear Screenshotted, um... No, you're not beholden to stay in touch with anybody you don't like. You get, you're get you an adult and you get to make choices. Um, this person doesn't have to stay part of your community because they're an ex of a good friend. Uh, if this were a different situation where it's somebody who did things that you're really troubled by and you're not really sure like how to proceed with the relationship or you feel really troubled by their behavior, their mental health, that'd be one thing. But it doesn't sound like they're your friend. They were just in your life by vis-a-vis your relationship. Well, now, blessedly, they don't have to be anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're um, not abandoning someone we're adults we can't abandon each other we're not children so you get to make a choice you have a choice in who you spend time with life is short and the planet is full of people i often think about like i have so many friends that i love so much why would i waste my time with people i don't want to be with i want to be with the people i love mm-hmm. dr laura likes to say is this how you want your life to look from now till dead because that's the choice you're making She's like, you want to be doing this? You want to be in this relationship until you're dead? Because that's what you're doing. How long is your life? Is it infinite? Mine's not. And then people are like, oh, oh, no. I don't think so. And then Beth Beth Pickens' phone rings and it says, you will die. Yep. Five times a day an app reminds me that I will die. Does that app reminding you you will die reinforce to you that you need to make good decisions and surround yourself with nourishing, exciting, funny people while you're on earth? It snaps me back into the present. Uh, chiefly, that's what it does. It just puts me in the present. I remember, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm mortal. I, I, there's this thing called mortality. So whatever's happening in that moment, whether something pleasant or benign or stressful or I'm tripping about whatever, it just brings me back to the present. And then when I'm in the present, I can make choices mm-hmm. instead of reacting to things. Mm. Mm. That's a you. Wait. 
What does it mean when you're reacting to things? That means that you are, for me, my first thought is not always my best thought. So my reaction to things might be more of my emotional programming from way back when. Mm -hmm. Reacting is usually something quick and out of emotion and not out of fact. Mm -hmm. But if you're present and you're calm, you may have a better opportunity to evaluate the facts. Well, you know, because this reminder, this app reminds me on my phone and my phone, like all of us, my phone is something that is a it produces a lot of anxiety because it's the thing through which I'm doing social media, receiving news, communicating, feeling tethered to, right? It's like a source of both serotonin and pleasure and a lot of anxiety. So this this reminder that I get rem- randomly, and I'm not desensitized to it as one might think since it happens five times a day. It's just for a split second, I'm brought back to the present. I remember, oh yeah, I'm going to die. Like how important is this thing? Whatever thing is happening at this exact moment, it right sizes things. Mm, I like that. All right, our next mm. question. Hello, Nicole, producer Ponyo, producer Chris, and special guest Beth Pickens. I hope this email finds you doing well. How can you effectively support someone who is depressed without totally losing sight of yourself and your own mental slash emotional slash professional, et cetera, growth? How can you show empathy for their struggles with mental illness, but not become a part of it or enable them? Some background. I live with my partner for the past year or so. He's been very depressed. I myself struggle with depression and anxiety, so I can empathize. He started to go to therapy, which is great, but I still feel like so much of my time, emotional labor, and effort go into talking through his problems and bad feelings day in and day out. If I'm unable to provide support for him on any given day, he becomes upset with me and brings up my past failings or what he perceives to be my ongoing lack of support and understanding what he's going through. Thank you so much for considering my question. Your podcast is a weekly source of joy for me, and I often re-listen to the recent episode you did with Jessica and Yadu, where you talk about boundaries, because it's full of insights I really needed to hear. Thanks again. Anonymous advice asker in Alaska. Okay, so how can you support someone who's depressed without losing sight of yourself? One word, detach. What does that mean? It means that you love someone without becoming enmeshed with them. So if the person you love and you live with who's you know around you all the time, no matter what's going on with them, good or bad, they're separate and distinct from you. And your hula hoop around you, if you stand in the center of a hula hoop, you only have control over whatever's happening inside of there, meaning you. You can't fix or... Um, You can't fix another person's depression or anxiety. I wish we could, but we actually have no control over other people's mental health. And you can love them, lovingly detach from them, and take care of yourself. I highly recommend an anonymous program called Al-Anon for people who have trouble detaching from other people's lives. And it sounds like this might be a situation where you might want to explore by trying a few Al-Anon meetings and seeing what you think. It's it's a program for people who are affected by other people's alcoholism and addiction. And a lot of people who uh, are in relationship to people with mental health issues find a lot of relief there too. Hmm. Um, what do you think about the part where if she can't provide support for him on a day, he becomes upset and starts kind of picking on her and saying that she doesn't understand or support what he's going through? Well, I mean, you just say, I'm sorry, you feel that way. You don't, you don't have to engage Mm -hmm. when somebody's not, when you stop pleasing people, they stop being pleased. So if you start setting boundaries and not caretaking him through his ups and downs, 
and keep the focus on yourself, yeah, he's not going to be pleased, but it's also a crucial change that needs to happen in the relationship, it sounds like. And it's not selfish to take care of yourself. No, if you don't take care of yourself, you have nothing to give anybody else. It's so much better for your boyfriend if you can show up to him as a whole person who's taking care of yourself. And so you're not like teetering on the edge of your own depression, trying to give him your resources. When we, when we give out of deficit instead of abundance, it turns into resentment and it's poison for a relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great, great answer. And how can you show empathy for their struggles without becoming part of it or enabling them? Gosh, I, I mean, mean, I think it sounds like you do. The way you framed this question is very loving, and it sounds like you really care about him and you have empathy for him. So there's a there's a there's a difference though between having compassion, empathy, and love for someone and being a part of it. And there's truly, even when you live with someone, even when they're your spouse, there's nothing you can do to fix another person's mental health issues. There's truly nothing you can do. You don't have control over that, but you can contribute to it. You can contribute to patterns that are not helping either one of you. But I, my first and foremost, my recommendation is try a few Al-Anon meetings. Just show up and listen, see what you think. And also keep the focus on yourself. What do you need in this moment? How can you best take care of yourself? Thank you for your question. We hope this was helpful. Beth Pickens, do you have any questions for me? Nicole, we're both on book tours right now. Yeah. Hence our being together in a city that I don't live in, that you spend half of your time in, Portland, Oregon. And as I'm on my book tour, I find it's really hard to get um, other things that are not my daily book tour specific actions done in the day. Like I, I don't have brain space for it or energy for it. And it makes me feel like, you know, my brain starts telling me, you're lazy, you're unproductive, all these things. How do you deal with being on the road and sort of dealing with all the energy and, and minutia that takes up traveling for work while, uh, you know, also your brain telling you you're not working hard enough or all the other life demands that are waiting for you at home? It's very hard. It feels like, it feels like half living in one way because, you know, when you're moving from place to place and traveling, you have to be in the moment. You just have to be like a goldfish or a dog. You're like, this is all I have now. This is here. I like wherever I am right now, this is my new life. And so when people write me from my old life, which is the place where I normally live or other things, I'm not as good at I'm not as good at responding to them quickly, but I just have understood that and then forgiven myself for that. I'm like, okay, I'm you know, I'm still functioning. I'm just not functioning in the exact same hypervigilant way that I have set up for myself in the past. And also it is very nice to have a vacation reply email so that other people already know for sure that you may not get back to them quite as quickly as they would like you to, but that you are receiving their email. And then, yeah. So smart. So smart. Thanks, man. And I just, I just have to accept that I'm, I am actually doing a lot of functioning. I'm not being lazy. Like I'm getting myself from place to place. You know, I'm thinking about where are we going to stay? What are we going to eat? Am I calling the airlines about the dog? Am I setting up my thing? Am I talking about tech? Am I like signing books? Am I doing my reading? Am I doing my workshop? Am I, I'm preparing. I'm doing 16 million other things that are in the present. And so the things that are coming from outer space, like emails from around the world, have to just kind of get, get right-sized. They have to get their right priority, which today my priority is being in Portland, Oregon, going to do this workshop, you know, staying in this hotel, seeing my friends. Mm-hmm. And the other thing will happen. I'm not actually going to become Barney from The Simpsons. 
<laughs> you know, after being away for a week. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts, because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and Blue Apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Jamie Beth Raven, Beth Delaney, Mary Pinson, and Christy Herod. And coming soon, businesses we like will also be mentioned on the podcast. Nicole Georges, do you have any questions for me? Oh, Mary Potter, also known as Beth Pickens. I mean, I do. My one, Some of my advice for you that I often have is, how do you tell people you're displeased with something while staying professional? How do you tell somebody bad news while staying professional and not making it seem like you're just crying into the computer and yelling because you had a feeling? This is a business situation? Yeah. Well, I like to keep business really business. Like this is not personal. It's business. Even when there's personal feelings feeding the business decision and keep everything clean, simple, transparent and to the point. Because in business relationships, you don't know when or how something could loop back around in the future. So you want to keep them clean. And saying no in a business context is fine because it's not personal. It's just business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just drag. It's it's not life. It's just drag. Another thing that I like that you say sometimes um, about interpersonal situations too is it's just information. Can you talk about times when you say that? When you would when you would give that advice or think of that phrasing, it separate from a business question. It could be a business thing, or but you, I've also heard you say it interpersonally. Mm. Like if you're having a fight with someone and they're yelling at you, and oh, they're showing oh, yeah. their true colors right, in right, this right. way and that way. You're just collecting information, collecting data. Yeah, sometimes we feel like we have to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. Even if other people want you to make a decision. Yes, you always get to say, "Thanks for the information. Let me think about that and get back to you." I think that's very, very valuable. Yeah, we often, any, it's so hard. A lot of us are socialized to feel like we have to answer people right away on their timeline and we mm-hmm. want to please them. But why? Why is their timeline more important than my timeline? And so I think in general, it's better to always say, let me get back to you in 24 hours or let me get back to you. What's a timeline I can work with? Mm-hmm. But just to say, you don't have to answer something in the moment. In the moment, decisions, those are not, that's not a great way to make a decision. Though some of the best advice you ever gave me was, you know, you don't have to decide to break up with someone during a fight. 
No, that's a great time not to make any changes is when you're in a height. Anytime you're in a really heightened emotional state, that's not an ideal time to make any kind of a decision, especially a big sweeping one like about a relationship or a job or moving, et cetera, et cetera. Forget it. I'm out. It's done. Yeah. Never. I like to tell people, especially when I'm talking to people in conflict and I'm helping them work through the conflict, that when when that you get to table something, you don't have to do anything right now, especially when one or both people – are feeling really heightened emotionally and flooded. That's the time to say, let's table this. We, we This isn't over, but we haven't resolved anything, and that's okay. We're just tabling it until we're both calmer. Mm, I love that. Ponyo and I do that all the time. It's a really effective relationship strategy, and it keeps it keeps our human-dog relationship fresh and, you know, conflict-free. Just so you know. Any other questions? That's it. All right. Those are my questions. Thanks for giving me this bonus advice for the podcast. I mean, I love telling other people what to do. Irma Blood is a cartoonist, activist, and sexual assault survivor living in Seattle. Her website says she cut her teeth on Riot Girl and sharpened her edge in academia. She's the editor of the Grab Back Comics blog and anthology about sexual assault, in which I have a 10-page comic. I caught up with Irma on the Washington Coast, but you can find her at grabbackcomics.com. Ponyo is on the lap of Irma Blood. Welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you so much. I just can't believe I'm on Sagittarian Matters. Can you describe where we are right now? We are in a trailer in... Thanks, Ponyo. She's giving me kisses. We're like friends, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, So we're in a trailer at the Southwester in Long Beach, Washington. And it's so delightfully retro in here. There's a porthole, old curtains. Wooded walls. Wooden walls. AstroTurf carpet. Yes. Not so good on the toes, but it looks really lush. It kind of does. I've been wearing slippers on it. I wondered if I would like it for my own home, and then I remembered that it would have dog hair embedded in it. And then it would be like, (laughs) it would go from treasure to trash in about five minutes. It would be a dog hair carpet. Yeah. Like you need, if you're going to have dog hair on a carpet, I think the carpet needs to be pretty outstanding to begin with. It can't be like a kind of cheap, grody looking carpet, because then when you have the dog hair, what do you have? Right. You know? Then you just have a dog hair carpet. Yeah. Right. You need to have some some fashion there. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not going to work out. Uh, it needs to feel like it's worth it for you to have a dog hair catcher on the floor. And um, the right color. Really. Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have a black rug in my living room. And let me tell you, that is a sorry story with this blonde dog. Um, you are the publisher of an anthology called Grab Back. I am. Can yes. you tell us about the origin of that and what the heck it is? Well, Grab Back Comics is an anthology that I put together last year. It was published in May. And it came out of a blog that I started um, like in February, right after the election. And like everyone, I was miserable and I didn't know what to do after that whole election fiasco. And it just sort of came to me in a dream that I would make a blog with all the comics I could find about sexual assault and advocacy and harassment and, you know, um, educational cartoons that would, you know, show people what they can do if they need resources and first person stories and whatever I could find. And so I started doing that. And I made an announcement about that 
um, on International Women's Day last year, March 8th. And then um, some friends in the comics community said, are you going to do a print issue? Because it turns out comics artists don't care if their stuff is online. They care if it's on paper. And so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was your hope coming out? Like, what did you want people to get out of reading it or reading stories about this during this time? Yeah. So during that time, I felt really hungry for stories of survival, of learning to live your life after a a trauma. And I wanted to really surround myself with those stories. As a sexual assault survivor myself, (laughs) I don't mean to giggle, but Panya's been pretty cute. Um, As a sexual sexual assault survivor myself, I, when I was younger and I was really figuring out how to live with that sort of trauma and how to navigate relationships, um, how to feel safe in the world. Those sort of stories were just essential to me. And with everything that happened with the election and all of the talk that was around um, sexual violence during and after that election, um, I just was really like revved up again, triggered, but also energized and sort of like overwhelmed and depressed, but also like really feeling a responsibility to do something for folks who hadn't had an opportunity to heal from similar traumas. So what I was hoping was that this would be a resource where uh, trauma survivors could go and find stories that they could relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, and so it came out. Mm-hmm. Too much applause. There were reviews in is it Seattle Weekly. Seattle, yeah, Seattle Weekly, Seattle Review of Books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, Fanographics said it was their bestseller mm-hmm. one month. Yeah. Um, and so is it out of print now? What are your plans for the future? Oh, that's an excellent question. It is not out of print. I still have um, more than 100 copies. Mm-hmm. So those are available for distribution. And once it sells out, We'll see. Um, It could be reprinted. I'm working now on a second issue. And so um, kind of depending on what kind of that, what kind of traction that second issue gets, maybe I'll reprint the first. Mm -hmm. And then what is the theme of the second issue? Or what's the point of the second issue? Well, you know, I have a neighbor who I was talking to about this book. And I showed it to her and she said, is this for teenagers? And I said, no. <laughs> like that's it's um I think the themes are just too advanced or the language is too strong for um from you know young teenagers at least. And she said, you know, uh of my foster kids, most of them have been in the foster system because of sexual violence. And I thought, oh, that's something that I have some thoughts on. I think that that's what the next anthology should be about is you know, stories for teenagers and information for teenagers, resources and ideas about how to handle trauma for young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Can people submit? Totally. Yes. Um, you can reach me through my blog, which is grabbackcomics.com um, or grabbackcomics at gmail.com is my email. And I'm accepting submissions through the summer. So any stories that you might have one of the things i'm interested in is like stories about where your safe place was as a teen or a person who you trusted and what it was like to tell them something difficult um stories when you thought you were in a difficult situation but you took action and it turned out okay 
mm-hmm. or when you were able to support a friend or or found support from a friend. Um, s- stories where where young people are really navigating difficult circumstances, and that doesn't have to have a happy ending. But um, but if you have a story that's like, wow, I wish I'd known this when I was younger. Mm-hmm. That's the sort of thing that I'd like to include. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for doing what you do. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Producer Ponyo thanks you too, and she apologizes for distracting you. Oh, Ponyo, it's okay. I'm just glad that we're friends. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Beth Pickens, we are on the streets of downtown Portland, Oregon, and we just have had our second child's Ponyo petting sesh in as many days. Uh, can you describe what happened? Well, it's diametrically the opposite of what happens with my dogs, where I'm afraid they're actually going to bite a child's small face off. <laughs> she just wags and lets people pet her. We met up with a dad and his two freckle-faced children waiting for the elevator. Everybody here is so wholesome looking. Yeah. Well, a little kid was wearing a hat that said, gone squatching. So I said, I like your, I like your hat. And then they were like, oh, yeah. My, my Sasquatch manual says they get to be about eight feet tall. It's part man, part ape. Portland is nothing but, like, friendly dads. If you had, like, a dad thing, you'd be really happy here. <laughs> but, like, a real, like, dad bod, like, oh, normcore yeah. dad, dad, dad. You would be, your fetish would be fulfilled 100%. You'd have your pick. <laughs> your pick of actual dads. <laughs> but anyway, I was just swarmed in an elevator by dad and friendly kids. Talking about Squatch. Petting the dog talking squatch <laughs> squatch talk <laughs> and i was thinking about when i was a kid i was never afraid to meet a wolf a sasquatch but i was very afraid to meet a wolf man yeah well the werewolf's gonna kill you sasquatch is gonna run away from you and be elusive sasquatch is gonna be like harry and the henderson and go like oh hi down here i know all right we gotta go we gotta go we're in the ring